Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Today's topic has been called a, quote, crisis issue in New Mexico, something that top city and state officials have highlighted over the last year. And it's also something we've addressed on this podcast. We're talking about what's been dubbed organized retail crime. In short, it's a new definition or understanding of what we've traditionally labeled shoplifting or stealing from stores. But there's a big difference with organized retail crime. Maybe simplifying the issue, organized retail crime is essentially defining these chronic thieves in a new and different way. They are people who continue to steal high dollar items and in the process are showing an escalating behavior of violence or harm toward others, all while trying to steal. It's not just the stuff that people steal, but it is the threat that it is causing others putting workers like security guards, managers, store clerks who usually don't make a lot of money, all of them in harm's way. But it's also putting the average Joe customers in harm's way. These are grocery shopping families who are caught in the middle. About five months ago, back in May, we interviewed KRQE investigative reporter Ann Perrette about this topic after she went along on an organized retail crime sting operation with the New Mexico Attorney General's Office and the Albuquerque Police Department. The Attorney General's Office asked we not identify their special agent as he frequently conducts these stings, but we were allowed to join him on one. This particular Walmart has has had a lot of issues. They've had a lot of pushouts. They've had a lot of walkouts. They've had incidents of violence, things like that. Since Ann's story aired, a new chapter has emerged. We can now share information at a much more uh, timely manner, and we're hoping to lead to more convictions and better prosecutions in our community. In late August, Albuquerque's mayor, police chief, the president of the New Mexico Chamber of Commerce and the attorney general announced there's a new database to better organize, track and help prosecute cases of organized retail crime. So in this week's podcast, we don't want to just rehash this problem, but we do want to talk more about the significance of this new development, this new database and how it works. Is it big brothery? And what does it mean for you? This week, Gabby got a chance to talk to one of the people who's spearheading this whole organized retail crime initiative. With me in studio today is New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. He's a Democrat. You've been the state's top prosecutor now for the last eight years. AG Balderas, thank you for being here. It's great to be here. So to start, you heard me explain a little bit about organized retail crime, but how would you define organized retail crime when we talk about that that idea? Well, I think it's a problem that was misunderstood, but I've described it basically um, like taking one of your most important loved ones, whether they're at a gas station or at a Home Depot or at a grocery store, and visually seeing one of your loved ones that's supposed to be doing a very important task for your family and then realizing that they could be involved in a crime scene in a split second. And that's the visual that I have to share with New Mexico lawmakers, uh, reporters, uh, community activists that don't quite comprehend that uh, this is not a shoplifting transaction, that there are violent 
uh, organized criminal activities that are now uh, being uh, pursued at retail centers that used to be family oriented. And that, that was part of the real misunderstanding or the, the critical stereotype that we all had that it's just pumping gas. It's mom pumping gas. That's a safe space for our families in the neighborhood who would commit violence at a plant store at a home Depot. That's a Saturday. Dad is going to get some hardware tools um, you know, who would go to a Walmart when, uh, you know, Uncle Joe is buying turkey for the family? What, what is now occurring with organized retail crime is that we're finding out that it's a major profit center to fund organized criminal activity. And now it is such an emboldened problem that we are now realizing that the criminals that law enforcement is looking for can be found on those Saturday mornings in stolen cars, stolen guns, in these parking lots, which we used to really predict it that were safe retail centers, are all already crime scenes seven days a week. And that's really the, the state of the crisis today, that these are no longer just retail centers. We are competing every day that uh, these potentially are crime scenes. Just because they have signs on them does not mean that uh, our families are not at risk on seven days a week. You said at a recent news conference that ORC is more profitable to steal from a Home Depot, Lowe's or a small business owner rather than selling drugs or guns or running stolen cars in New Mexico. Is that really the case? And, and why do you think? Absolutely. And I wasn't being sensational. The reason organized retail crime was such a dangerous problem is that it did not have proportional response to it. So I can go rob a bank and the FBI is looking for me immediately, but yet you could go proportionally rob a Home Depot and that criminal is emboldened because they know police are not coming. Uh, the employees can no longer detain that individual and they are using our family members uh, as a way to avoid detection and, and they know that there will not be any resistance because uh, the community is not prioritizing that kind of theft because the legislature has mandated that it cannot be felony activity. It only can be misdemeanors and we have to let them out. So all the public policy checks and balances had been lifted on this type of criminal activity. And so, yes, if you look at drug running, gun running, uh, all the other profit centers for, for felony activity, there were checks and balances, there were law enforcement, there were accountability and real punishment, crime and punishment standards. And yet somehow our legislature and somehow our society had um, emboldened criminals. And I'll give you a couple anecdotes. For probably the early part of my career, the, the individuals would say, you guys can't arrest me. Uh, all the organized retail criminals, when we began to arrest them, were shocked when we began doing operations on these individuals because they'd used to a lifetime that, that we can go rob all of these retail centers. We go to multiple counties and, uh, and no one would come looking for them. So that really, to me, uh, was not a, a sensational statement. It was uh, a, a, a 
basically a societal failure in public safety. That reminded me of a story that I did uh, talking about battery on healthcare workers, because it's the same thing in an emergency room. If you walk in and you slap a you know, health official, that's a felony in New Mexico. But if you do the same thing at a Walmart, it's not a felony. It's ridiculous. There is a, a difference there in the charges. And with these ramped up stings that you guys have done through your office or helped coordinate with other local police offices through New Mexico, we mentioned this new database that's launching now broadly tied to helping businesses deal with organized crime. Tell us more about this database. We understand it's run by a private company called Aurora. What is it and what does it do? The model that the chamber is pushing now is just an intelligence sharing. So the criminals would oftentimes steal from us, go to a Home Depot, Lowe's and go to multiple counties. And so this software is very brilliant in that it is intended to share information with law enforcement and partners in real time, faster than criminals can drive to these retail centers and exploit and shoplift in our communities. And so what we're hoping is that just like you and I um, can quickly find out which Chinese restaurant in our neighborhood has good Google reviews, uh, which will determine which restaurant we go eat at. Law enforcement can also determine, you know, which shopping centers are getting hit and that will hopefully improve our operations and our ability to intervene and to arrest uh, and intercept some of these bad actors. And so for many years, not only was there not uh, law enforcement investigating these cases, but these individuals were, were the, the retail centers were not sharing information quick enough. So technology we're hoping is going to be a game changer in us going after the worst of the worst and really making a difference in the lost profits. So Aurora is the private company in charge of the database. And then do these retailers input that information if they have an incident that takes place at their store and then that's shared with law enforcement? That's correct. So so part of what this awareness and education of this challenge is, is going to require is these stores, not all the stores are signed up on this system. So like APD, how they have us all on cameras and we're trying to share information in real time. It's much of the same concept, but not all the stores have signed up, but we're, we're optimistic because stores are losing so much money and consumers are so frustrated that we do think that eventually they'll all sign up. How do they sign up? Is it an opt-in thing where a retailer can just sign up? Any business can do it? That's correct. I'm assuming that once they run it through the chain of command, um, it will be a business decision. Do you know roughly how many are signed up so far? I don't. I know that the chamber um, introduced it with us a few weeks ago, and then we're having a follow-up, I think, next week. What information gets stored in that database and who keeps it? Who's the gatekeeper? I mean, is this a private company or does it sound like law enforcement also has infinite access to the data? So from what I understand, you know, these software platforms, that the data is unlimited. So I would assume that as companies change what data they store, it will, that will also change the data that is provided to law enforcement. So for instance, I would think that some of the, the loss of inventory is critical to us prosecuting a case, but I would also see, think that some of the algorithm information, so location, time of day, uh, behaviors, um, those are also very critical. So it's qualitative and quantitative data 
that's necessary for us to investigate cases and also to improve our prosecution rates. As a law enforcement agency, who prosecutes organized retail crime cases and what data are you looking for with these databases? You mentioned location. Are you also looking for like video, photos, descriptions of criminal events? So historically, because it was a misdemeanor crime and and DA offices really are the front line, but these were considered small cases and they would focus on murders and other types of, of public safety cases. So what we're hoping is the legislature will fund prosecutors at the DA's offices that have a white collar criminal background. Cause a lot of these cases involve financial, uh, they, they're white collar in nature. And um, sometimes they require a, a specialist to, to be successful in prosecuting these cases. Secondarily, um, we, any type of evidence in terms of uh, about the offender and the transaction are helpful to prosecute these cases. They're not difficult cases. A lot of times it was just gathering the information and because the officers were focused on other types of crimes. Um, what we're finding is that our, off, our task force is helping uh, other detectives solve other crimes. So in, in other words, we will be targeting an offender at a Home Depot and we'll be coordinating with another department and realize that that, that individual is wanted for murder in another county. In other words, these are criminals that are coming to Home Depot to generate revenue so they can develop profits and go commit other criminal activities. So a lot of times the the kind of cases that we're investigating cross-pollinate into other successful investigations. Say you have this aggregated database where hypothetically we have a criminal who goes and you know, steals from a store in one county and then goes to another county. But the fact that you can now see that in this database, is there potential then to maybe charge that person with felony level crimes if you can? Absolutely. That was a big gap in the system is that the, the DA's office or a local law enforcement agency would only look at that respective county. Now we're looking at multiple counties and now retailers are starting to share information from multiple counties. So then it could be, you know, that these once considered petty theft crimes, misdemeanors, has the potential to rise more felony level when you start adding up all the lost inventory and absolutely. Okay. Got it. What would you say the overall impact of having this kind of database is? It seems just like a trove of information about presumably suspects. Yeah. I, I think that, that for me, it is a, it is a game changer the way the cell phone revolutionized the way families communicate. So in other words, it's just giving a very important tool to law enforcement to hold criminals accountable that really dramatically exploited a system for, for many decades and, and it's now out of control. So it's the technology should be really leveling the playing field. Um, and, and really the, 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 the other thing that is unique about this problem is that for many years, this problem was defined that, well, stores, they're not really a victim here. They make a lot of money and, and that's one way to look at it. But, but now we're starting to realize that um, employee safety is at risk. And we were starting to see um, shoppers where discharge of weapons, you know, the level of other violent activity involved in them stealing has really gotten out of control. And so this information that we're sharing, even though some of it is about theft, 
I am also hoping that, um, and you've covered this, I mean, we are breaking murder rates. We are seeing homelessness. We are seeing drug activity, our behavioral health system, our entire public safety, even our school safety in terms of our public school shootings, our whole um, safety net is really under a lot of duress. And so this intelligent sharing, if we can pull out some of the most violent criminals um, and we can somehow pick them up at a retail center, then that means they might not go to our neighborhoods. They might not go to other areas of our state and hopefully it'll make our judicial system more efficient. And so this is also a public safety strategy. And so we, we are really trying to make law enforcement more efficient, more responsive. And this is really an easy way to pick them off because these should be the most sophisticated partners. You're talking about the largest corporations in the world, the best law enforcement agencies and white collar information. Gosh, if we can't put a case together uh, and take out a violent criminal, then our society is really struggling. But I'm really hoping that this type of strategy takes a lot of pressure off of our other law enforcement agencies and our other um, individuals that are dealing with violent crime. And I'm pretty confident we've already seen results where 80 arrests, um, these offenders, they're not minor shoplifters. These offenders were criminals that detectives were looking for in other cases. So we think that this is going to be a real net positive for legislators to continually invest in. I have a bigger picture, big brother type question about this as well. We're at this place where private companies have databases on the people who go into their stores. I think we all consider tracking with cell phones and the data that we share online, but it might be surprising for some people to realize that the cameras in these stores are also watching their moves and they're smart enough to scan your face, remember who you are, retain your image. That's never really been an experience I think that people imagined going into maybe the grocery store at Target or Walmart. Do you at all have any of those big brother type concerns? Because seemingly there's a chance to use that data in ways that could either target or profile people. I do, you know, and I I think that um, we have to watch out for those issues and we have to debate those vigorously. I have confidence though. I, I guess three things that I would consider to our, to our citizens in New Mexico. First for me is that the crisis is so out of control that we have to utilize Um, all the tools we have available to mitigate the crisis. So New Mexico is ranked number one in violence at our retail centers. The reason I was meeting with Home Depot executives at their national conference in Las Vegas, and we were testing technology in New Mexico to protect consumers is because New Mexico's violence is out of control at retail centers. So we're at a desperate point that I'm willing to try a lot of things to protect families. However, the, the, the concern about civil liberties is very important to me. So we have a strong, we have the strongest litigation system in the world. So I am confident there will be lawyers, the ACLU, our office is one of them as well, ready to sue corporate America when, when anyone is rights are violated. And so that's a check that I think is healthy. And I think good law will be made as we experiment in this process. And then number two, I think that our citizens, uh, we have the strongest consumers and, and citizens should also have a conversation with retailers much in the way we are with our cell phones. And I think millennials are going to be the the next generation of conversation. And, and, you know, 
how much privacy are we willing to give up to work, to engage in target? And, uh, but the, that's a conversation that I think will be ongoing, but we, we have a healthy relationship or unhealthy sometimes with retail. I mean, that's just, we are the most demanding consumers in the world. Amazon, we want it tomorrow, but we also have information out there. I mean, we, we already have gone down that road where I'm a big data privacy advocate and, um, but I'm shocked at how much of our own personal information we put out just to use our phone and to go shopping. And my wife does 80% of her shopping on Amazon, but in order to do that, she has to put out a certain amount of information, but this is a debate that we should, we should be um, concerned about, but I, I think this software is right now a good tool, but, but we should have that conversation. Some people might look at this initiative and say, it seems like we're leaning on private businesses to essentially build some of these cases and do investigations that we traditionally think police should be doing. Is the embrace of this technology in some kind of way an admission that the state doesn't have the resources to effectively do this work? Yeah, I don't think so. I think I think that we definitely need um, the basic information from the stores. We need to know, for instance, like the inventory they lost. We need to have witnesses co- show up to court. But I look at this like much like the breathalyzer in our DWI crisis a company designed a breath machine to measure your breath alcohol score. It kicks out a breath card. And then we as law enforcement and prosecutors are able now to measure in time uh, an offender or a driver's breath alcohol score. This data system is much in the same way that we need to know, um, you know, inventory that's lost in what store. And then we can critically build a case around that. And then we'll do the difficult work, which is, to go detain um, and prosecute and we'll do the dangerous work. We're not asking stores to uh, intervene, investigate. Um, We, we just want them to upload and share information with law enforcement and we want to be a good partner. I wanted to ask you a prosecution related question about that too. Um, And this has just come up in my own research and reporting on crime and looking at court records and seeing if cases do go all the way through the court system. One of the things that I see a lot as a reporter is that um, sometimes there will be a lot of investigatory work on the front end, and then maybe it would be dismissed or no lead because somebody failed to show up to court, like say it's the officer. Is that something that you think should maybe change at the legislative level or the state level? I know in some other states, that's not necessarily a requirement, like a criminal complaint can stand on its own as these witnesses witnessed this and this and this. And it wouldn't necessarily be dismissed on that technicality of an officer not showing up. Absolutely. I think New Mexico is at a crossroads. You know, if we look at just public safety in general, I think that in my 18 years of public service, we're now evolving from a culture where where institutions used to just blame each other. The legislature would blame the governor. The governor would blame the courts. The courts would then quietly blame uh, the police. The police would blame the DAs. And, And I think now we are... We are all at a crossroads um, at the very mature years of my career where I think there's very serious conversations that our families are more critically at risk. Albuquerque, New Mexico are changing where um, none of our systems are managing the um, the level of, of risk that, that we're dealing with. And so 
We're short a thousand school teachers. We're short officers. So we are at a very critical time where I think that the reforms that you're talking about, everything is on the table. I think, for instance, that the legislature has not proportionally funded. We have oil and gas revenues and billions of dollars and, we, and our numbers are through the roof on every indicator of violent crime, everything. Yet we don't fund public safety like a formula. We fund education like a funding formula per pupil, but we do not fund crime and safety per victim and per criminal. Why do we have 10,000 felons that have not been picked up right now? They're on bench warrant. Right now, as we speak, we have 10,000 felons, but we don't have a warrant unit that's out there. We have officers. Our system right now is built to be responsive to ongoing crime as it happens, but we have no one proactively picking up all the felons that haven't gone to court. And you're raising a good point when we don't have officers that go to court or we have witnesses. So we have a court system that also punishes the victim or the state, I should say, when, when not all of our witnesses show up to court. So there needs to be, I think, two things. I think we do dumb things with our money. And uh, the legislature has never built a funding formula for public safety. They're doing stupid stuff right now, like considering individual bills. I don't know why they pay the bills that way. We have a public safety crisis invoice. You report on dead bodies every night, yet we don't have a budget fiscal plan for a whole public safety strategy. It's going in a bunch of different directions. And so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is if, as a reporter and you're being very intelligent in terms of how you raise it, we've never had a, a, a legislative session to redefine how we pursue justice or how we process court cases. So to this day, when I process a misdemeanor and a felony, I mean, I prosecuted Gary Greger, the serial worst child molester teacher in New Mexico history, yet I was competing with divorce cases in the same district court. And yet no one's raising that as a crisis yet. We're paying as taxpayers, the same court system, the same administration of justice. So I've seen quietly voters very upset with court cases, reporters covering why cases get dismissed, but I don't think we've ever redefined the actual, how we process these court cases. And so it's embarrassing that McDonald's has changed literally their system on how they make the big Mac to improve speed. And they've, they've changed the assembly. I've seen the documentary on yeah. this, <laughs> but we haven't innovated our court process. And that's the two simple things that I've seen as a deficiency in our system. We haven't changed the way we fund public safety. We're still doing it like in the 1950s and we haven't changed the way we administer justice. So we can keep changing how we build cases, uh, but we're not going to probably get a better result until we, we change the court system and we, we stop, like, for instance, how many more bodies do we need 300 murders or 3000 before we realize 2 billion in the savings account is a ridiculous public safety strategy versus having a thousand cops short in New Mexico? Like when, when do we realize enough's enough? Like it's, it's just dumb policy. So I didn't mean to give you a long winded answer, no, but I those are the two areas that I think go to your question that. We have a stupid system that punishes a victim. When somebody doesn't show up to court, the loss goes to the victim. And that's a stupid way to get convictions. And I guess that's my best way I can say yeah, that. Yeah, I just had to ask because I've seen it 
so many times, honestly. And it, and it's a shame because you see all the work that goes into the front end. Like the cops were on the scene for however many hours and interviewed this many witnesses. But if somebody doesn't show up to court, Noli, you know, right. and then they'll say, well, we can refile at a later date, but then that's a whole other question, right. right? Or when it does related about some of the criticisms that you pointed out, you also seem pretty angry at that press conference. I think surrounding the topic generally of why hasn't more been done. We are right now doing it without the legislature funding or partnering with us. And I'm pissed off about it. And the media and the general citizens need to be aware of where the failure has been. We have officers overwhelmed. We have minimum wage workers having guns wielded in their in their faces on a daily basis. And people are very frustrated. You said, quote, New Mexico has been asleep at the wheel in not updating statutes, not funding resources to deal with this. At another point, you even said you were, quote, pissed off that the legislature hasn't done anything. You're a Democrat. You worked in the legislature. It's a Democratic majority in the legislature and has been for a while. What do you think is the holdup in state government or just in addressing this problem? You know, I, I, and I say this as a Democrat and as someone who, who cares about my colleagues and, and, and I, and I'll say this as a, as someone who had to go through the political system, I will, um, I think it was a failure first of a, a, a real just political stereotype of an issue. And, and I'm saddened for some of my Democrats who misjudge this issue. So I have had the blessing to be educated and, both uh, really, I would say, had both challenges and opportunities in working with law enforcement and working in public safety. So my positions in public office have been de dealing with corruption and public safety. And so they've not been easy jobs. But, but because of that, I get the benefit of having to look at issues and learn a lot. I think just being in the legislature, the, the failure has been that some lawmakers we're indoctrinated to think a certain way about issues because we take positions. So I'm for less taxes. I'm for more taxes. Oh, I like uh, public education. I like private schools. I think when it came to this type of issue, I think Democrats and Republicans dropped the ball because the tough on crime or the rehabilitation Democrats both of them are wrong when it comes to this issue. When you're talking about why are safe spaces for our families becoming crime scenes or why is child molestation growing in churches and in public schools and Democrats and Republicans continue to stereotype and blame each other and these environments don't become uh, protected and safer and the problems are in the checks and balances then, then we're just failing. We're not having those honest conversations. And so it took me years to pass child abuse notification of school teachers. When coaches are molesting kids, they're still were against reporting child abuse from school campuses. I don't know how they justify that. I think for years, the, the shoplifting it's, it's, it's poor people stealing milk really did a disservice. I'm, my mom was raised on food stamps. I was raised in public housing. Um, the stereotype that we as poor people had to shoplift because we're hungry. And um, I think there were stereotypes and I'm just being politically honest with you. I think there was some BS and sometimes it's easier just to 
kill a bill by stereotyping an issue and killing your colleague's bill because he's on the other side. And um, I think they were playing a sport for too many years. The problem with this issue is we thought it was just hurting on the other party and we didn't realize, oh my gosh, this is about murderers that are now going to Home Depot and stealing and needing more profit money to continue to evade officers that it really, it really has impacted our families and we are behind. And so I think politics got the best of us when I think that we all hope that public safety will never be political. So I think that this issue, unfortunately, didn't have the same evolution that the, the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. I've seen a lot of evolution in that issue where civil rights activists got angry at law enforcement, law enforcement got angry at civil rights activists. But at least I've seen honest dialogue where they all kind of came back together and they said, look, we kind of need each other. If we're going to ever really address these issues, I haven't seen the same honest dialogue. I, I now see Democrats and Republicans saying, oh, let's address the issue with organized retail crime, but nobody's admitting um, how out of control or how, how much they've ignored this problem for decades and that they continue to actually apply the wrong policies. And so hopefully we'll catch up now, but that's my honest critique is I think that our communities really got harmed by the inaction of the legislature. So what does specifically need to be done to address organized retail crime? Is it new criminal statutes, tougher penalties, more funding or something else? So a little bit of, of everything. So first is just the legislature has to proportionally create a statute that if it's a felony, they should create the statute that it's that gives law enforcement the ability to charge a felony. They shouldn't create a misdemeanor for felony conduct. So they were almost creating immunity by not allowing officers to stack the amount stolen. So what was happening was an offender could go and commit $10,000 worth of thefts at 10 different terrorized, 10 different Home Depot employees. And they would say, no, those are all individual misdemeanors. Really? So wait a minute, this guy can go threaten and, and just completely evade. Yes. It's just all, and he could be a serial offender with no regard for accountability. And then the judges process him, let him out total nuisance. And at what point does that have to even become a fourth degree felony? I mean, it's the wrong messaging. Um, so that the legislature needs to send a, a message that at some point civil society, this is starting to threaten our community members. So I think it's about also as much about the legislature taking back our community and saying that this, this problem's out of control. So yes, felony changing some statutes would be, would be important. I also think that the legislature, because we're so behind, needs to invest in good prosecution and, 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 and give DA's offices. Um, I don't want this priority to take away from rape cases and murder cases. That's an also another stupid approach for the legislature is very classic, always good about saying, well, we, we care about this priority, but we're going to make you choose neighborhood what is going to be your party? We'll give you the road, but we're going to make you take away the park from the kids. I don't believe in that. We have historic revenues. This is a problem that gives us a lot of benefits if we solve it. This is a tax base. This is about jobs. This is about our identity as a state. Um, so invest in independent prosecutors and 
and invest in really understanding this problem. And so that takes resources. And then I would say finally, number three, um, the legislature are their leaders. And so I was very critical of now. Let me, let me give them some kudos. These are individuals that can lead stakeholder groups and can get into the community and really be a voice for a lot of the victims that are, um, that are very upset right now. Um, a lot of citizens feel like crime is not being addressed. This is an area where we can actually make a dent in our community and, and show that, that New Mexico can be a little safer. And so I would welcome lawmakers to, to really look at retail centers in each of their legislative districts and start to do risk assessments with law enforcement and say, look, how can I be a partner? Where can I, where can I help with? And I can guarantee you there will be, there'll be advocates and business leaders that will welcome that conversation and, and organized retail crime is, is a, is an area, an issue that we can completely take back. So legislators can be, can be really public policy advocates. So I think that those three areas is how I think we could turn this around very quickly. And just to clarify the inability to stack those charges, is that still the case or they, they can now stack charges, right? Or no, combine? No, no. So we have to change it's the still. law. Yeah. It's, 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 they, we need to change the aggregate amounts and all of that. So yeah, that's a, just a fix that we need to, to change. You're almost out of office as New Mexico's top prosecutor. There's clearly more work that needs to be done surrounding this issue and others that we've discussed. What's next for you? You know, I don't know. I've, I've been in, in office 18 years. I don't think I'm going anywhere, but I, I do want to take a little break and, and, and I'll still be involved in the community. I've thoroughly enjoyed these roles and um, I'm probably going to help a lot of good New Mexicans that are involved in this type of work. So I don't know though. I don't know what's going to be next, but I'm excited for the next chapter. Okay. No spoilers. No spoilers today. What about this initiative? Will it be able to sustain itself through your successor with the organized retail crime work and, and the, the work that you, your office has been doing? I believe so. I, I guess for two reasons. The first is that, that in building this, I call it duct tape, you know, we kind of duct taped something that came after, uh, you know, off of some good attorney generals, employees that were phenomenal, uh, that'll continue to do this work. This model has been nationally recognized. And so a lot of other states are turning to New Mexico. So I think that there's a real incentive to continue to grow this. And then I think secondarily, I do think uh, the next attorney general will want to continue the model because uh, the task force really is gaining ground in rural communities and throughout the state of New Mexico. And so I think, I think this is something that the, the legislature can really fund institutionally. And, um, and so I think, I think I see this producing a lot of fruit in the future. Anything else I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? Just, I want to close the way we started. I think, uh, I think number one, I want to welcome the conversation because I, I think the Sound bites and and uh, you know driving by each other. I think New Mexico is a conversation state, and that's the way I was raised. That's how I was able to become a G. Is coffee shop conversation. That's how you go from wagon mound to be attorney general. And so this conversation about ORC is was critical, and I thank you for that. And then finally, the visual of a crime scene. Um, it is so important, this conversation of involving neighborhood associations, all officers, because even officers used to say, well, we don't, 
deal with shoplifting. We're detectives or legislators would say, we don't deal with ORC. Uh, we we're dealing with more serious issues. Uh, my vision and hope at some point is that as we, we drive by our neighborhood centers that, that they become less risky and less dangerous. And so I just thank you for that conversation. It's something that's very personal to me. I don't let my daughters or my wife gas up in West side Albuquerque uh, at seven days a week. I, I, as the attorney general gas up my own cars. I really hope that five years from now, 10 years from now, we, we inherit the old New Mexico where we used to live in a small state. And that really is my, my vision. And I hope your listeners really gather is that, that I don't want those retail centers to be crime, crime scenes that we want the old New Mexico, but that it's going to take all of us to really appreciate the risks and mitigating the, that future. So thank you for letting me share that. Thanks again to New Mexico's Attorney General Hector Balderas for sitting down with me and giving some more details about how this database works, what sort of efforts are even being made at the legislature to change some of the ways that cases are handled in New Mexico. We also will add a link in our show notes and our corresponding article to where retailers can sign up for the database, Aurora, if you're interested in that. We'll also add a link to Ann Perrette's initial story in the show notes here and on the article on krqe.com slash podcasts. If you have a story idea, podcast idea, let us know. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com. You can also reach me at at TV, And you can reach me at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.